You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. Listen, we've been talking about uncommon, unlikely people in unlikely places and how God just loves to do stuff that confounds the wisdom of this world or confounds the powerful of this world who think they're powerful, and he takes simple things and does something really great with them. So go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to start reading in verse 7. Uh, and this is, what, this is what God says to us. He said, we are like common clay jars. You know, some of us might be like common clay jars. Um, I, I know I can identify with Paul. Paul said, I was the chief sinner among sinners that some of us were not even common clay jars. We were vessels, but we were vessels of dishonor. I was one of them. I was a vessel of dishonor. So God takes vessels of dishonor that aren't honorable at all, and he takes common clay jars, and he does something extraordinary with them. And this is what he says. He says, listen, he said, we are common clay jars that that carry this glorious treasure within. God gives us a treasure. He says, so that the extraordinary, everybody say extraordinary. He takes the ordinary and the dishonorable and makes them extraordinary and honorable that he can pour out his life through. How does he do it? By the message of Jesus. By the message that Jesus Christ, and when people receive Jesus Christ their Lord, God sends his Holy Spirit, and he changes our very nature, and changes who we are, and the Spirit of the living God comes and lives inside of us. And he takes these ordinary common clay jars or these dishonorable uh, vessels, and he, he just transforms it and makes something extraordinary out of us. And he says, so that the extraordinary overflow of power. So he gives us not just enough for us, but he gives us so much that it overflows from us to others. And that's what Paul's talking about. He said, listen, power will be seen as God's, not ours. That the extraordinary overflow of power will be seen as God's and not ours. So our testimony is always about the blood of the lamb. What Jesus did for us that changed our lives. And in that we give him the credit, not with some false humility, some false, you know, religious, oh, I'm just, I'm no good, and I'm just lowly, and I'm just so this and that. No, it's not a false humility. And I, you can always tell when that false humility comes out because it's not confident. God doesn't want us to be prideful. He wants us to be confident about what God has done in our lives. And there's a difference between cocky and confident, prideful and confident. God always says, don't throw away your confidence. Don't cast away your confidence of what he is doing inside of you. Amen? It goes on to say that he says, man, in Matthew 5, he says, I'm I'm making you the salt and light of this world. And he said, listen, don't take your light and hide it, but put it on a hill. For all to see, because that light is this message. That light is this treasure that makes our lives extraordinary and not just ordinary. And we might not be written down in the history of Roswell or New Mexico or the nation or the world, but we'll be written in the history books where they count, that are eternal in the history books of heaven, what we do for the kingdom. And what we think is little is really great. 
In God's eyes, you know, you think, well, I'm, I, I just led my family to Jesus, or I just did this. I went out and worked at a Doppler block and picked up trash. Man, all that stuff we do for God, man, he, he delights in it. I said, he delights in it, man. He loves what we do and the difference that we make, especially when we do it together. Especially when it's all of us working together. I always say, the most beautiful thing I see in my family is when we're all sitting around and we're, we're working together, fellowshipping together. It's just beautiful. and That's the most beautiful thing I see in the body of Christ when we're all just working together. You know, I, I have a, we have one of our uh, great leaders in our state uh, in a Christian brother um, that uh, I met, uh, really, I think over the phone. I met him over the phone sometime back, um, and uh, he is the minority whip in the, in the house in Santa Fe. Minority, not because he's Hispanic, because that's the majority, right? That's not, that's not what minority means. It means that from the Republican side, the Christian conservatives, he leads that whole group up in Santa Fe. And man, I, I met him over the phone. We were in a fight in our state. I, I don't know if some of you might remember. It was an abortion issue. And anyway, we targeted 10 Democrats in highly Catholic uh, areas. And we raised the money, put out the ads, and with Rod and another young guy named Vince Torres, remember Rod's name and remember Vince Torres's name because you're going to hear their names. These guys love Jesus. They're going to hear these, their names in leadership in our state for many years to come. We worked together, and we got eight of those Democrats to not vote uh, for the abortion thing, and we won that battle together. And so, so man, we wrote the ads. We, we produced them, and we put them out, and we paid for them and got all that done. But Rod has been fighting for us for years. He loves Jesus. He's been saved for many years. He loves, he and his wife and his family love Jesus. And I just want to recognize him because, guys, listen, it, we all know it's an uphill battle in our state. But this is the guy who's not, he's fighting uphill. He's not a quitter. He's going to fight till we get to the top of the hill. And we're close. We're getting closer. So, Rod, please stand up. Guys, let's thank him for all the work he's doing. Rod Montoya. Yeah, there you go, Rod. That's for you right there, man. Thank you for the battles you're fighting for us, man. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, Rod. Keep going, man. That's just a little encouragement for you because we know it's, it's been uphill, but we're, we're getting there. You know it. I know it. We've talked about that already this morning, and we're, we're going to win some battles. Guys, listen, the walls are coming down in New Mexico. This is not over. I said, this is not over. It's just really beginning. Right now, it's really beginning. Because the enemy's being exposed, and God is shining his light on how the enemy operates. What do we know? The scripture says, when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. And when the wicked rule, the people, well, God's showing what groaning looks like when the wicked rule. But he's about to flip it, and the righteous are about to rule, and we're going to have a time of rejoicing in New Mexico like we've never had before. And it's going to get on everybody. It's going to, everybody's going to get blessed by it. 
And so anyway, man, you know, Rod's been that light up in, the, in Santa Fe in the middle of that darkness, but God calls us to be that light everywhere we are. And that light is his message. That light is the Holy Spirit living inside of us. He said, put it on a hill. He didn't say cover it up. He said, put it on a hill. Why? So that everybody will know just what it said right here in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that it's God, that it's God. Everybody will know this is God. This is God. God changed my life. God did this. God did that. It's God. And, and we, need to, we need to constantly be sharing that and constantly be living that out so that people will see it. Now, I want to share a story with you about Joseph just real quickly, and then we're going to move on. But Joseph, as a young child, was very uh, popular with his father. His father loved Joseph very much and made him a, what they call a coat of many colors. And Joseph paraded it around to his older brothers. And back in those days, the pecking order of, of how you were born was really significant. And, you know, the oldest brother got all the inheritance, basically, and shared it with his younger brothers. And, you know, they got a piece, but the older brother became like the patriarch of the family when daddy died. And so younger brothers got like, that's why David, King David, when the prophet came to anoint a king, they didn't even call him in from the field. Why? Because he was the youngest brother. You know, he couldn't be possibly in any kind of leadership. Well, Joseph, he's not the youngest, but he's the second youngest. And he was the youngest for the longest time. Well, Joseph, some people think, might have gotten pride. I don't know how all that worked out. This is what I know about Joseph, that when he went to see his brothers, his brothers were so jealous of him because he told them about a dream that he had that they all bowed down to him. And then the next time he had another dream that even the parents bowed down. That was like mind-blowing to these guys. It's like, how dare you even say something like that? So... They were jealous of him. He comes to see him, and they beat him up. They're going to kill him, but the oldest brother says, don't kill him. So they throw him in a well and uh, try to decide what to do with him. They said, we're going to sell him to some slave traders going by. They're going to Egypt, and we're going to tear up his coat of many colors, cover it with blood, and say some animal came and ate old Joseph. So Joseph goes into slavery. Uh, the Bible says God's hand was upon him. He becomes the head of all the household of his slave owner. He's very prosperous. Everything he touches is blessed. And then right in the middle of that, the slave owner's wife tries to seduce him. Joseph won't go along with it. She, accused, she gets mad at him, accuses him of rape. He ends up being thrown in prison. And then after all of this takes place, Joseph interprets the dream of Pharaoh. I'm going through this very quickly. Uh, there's a lot that happens between that. But he interprets the dream of Pharaoh, and he goes. He's the second in charge as a slave. He ends up being second in charge of the prison. And then he ends up second in charge of all of Egypt. And his brothers, who he encounters and has events take place with his brothers. His brothers are fearful of Joseph because he's in this position of authority, and now daddy dies, and they're thinking, well, here's what they're thinking. When Joseph's brothers had seen that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent instructions to Joseph saying, your father commanded us before he died saying, this is what you shall say to Joseph. Please forgive, I beg you. Now I don't know if his dad, their daddy ever said any of this. But they're saying daddy said it. 
Please forgive, I beg you, the offense of your brothers in their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the offense of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Now, this weeping, you can go ahead and go to the next verse. This weeping, uh, I, I think it scared them. They didn't know if he was crying because he's about to kill them or he was crying he was about to forgive them. But it caused them to react even more. He said, then his brothers also came and fell down before him. So I think they're thinking, oh, man, Joseph's crying because he's about to kill us now. So they fall down. They even go further. And they said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for I am in God's place. Next verse. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to keep many people alive. We can stop right there. I want to say this to you that God never, very rarely, I should say, I won't say never. God very rarely drives a straight line between your life and your purpose and your destiny. It's very rarely a straight line. Why? Because we're involved. Our choices, other people, what other people do, and circumstances, and the enemy attacks. There's all kinds of variables. So there's very rarely a straight line to your purpose and straight line to your destiny. There's going to be some ups and downs. There's going to be some ins and outs. How you handle those is vital to whether or not you end up doing what God called you to do. Joseph's response to his brothers is, what you meant for evil Man, God, God turned this around. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. No matter what you did, I am where I'm supposed to be. My choices, your choices. Now, I'm going to point something out about Joseph that always blew my mind. I've searched the scriptures over and over again, read the story over and over again, which always blew my mind, that when he was sold into slavery, Joseph, it's not, one, it's not recorded one time that I can find that Joseph griped or complained to God. Not once did he gripe or complain. It's not recorded. I'm sure he's got to be thinking, oh, crap, this isn't good. But it doesn't record that Joseph ever turned against God and said, God, you know, you're doing this to me, God. You did this to me, God. Why are you doing this? It's not ever recorded. Then when he goes, puts in prison, it doesn't record that he did any of that there either. What Joseph did was, is vital to our purpose, to, to, to this, not just discovering it, but to living out the purpose and, 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 and destiny that God has for us. It's vital that we always stay loyal to him, especially in the tough times. And that's what's recorded. Joseph stayed loyal. And it said, because of that, it said God's presence, his hand was on Joseph. And he prospered him. He went to the prison. Joseph prospered. He wasn't just an inmate. He, be, he was running the whole prison. With less than three years, he was running the whole prison. Then he goes to Pharaoh's house. He's running all of Pharaoh's house. So it's really vital that we don't gripe and complain our way out of situations. Has anybody ever tried that or done it? You griped and complained your way? You know, when Julie and I first got married, I thought, man, this is a good thing. This is great. And then after about six months, we, got, we really got to know each other. And I'm like, oh, God, what have you done to me? <laughs> and, you know, you, you want to get married, and you get married, and then you want to be single. Has any of you ever prayed for a job and then griped and complained to God about it? Say, God, I really want this job. Can you open this door for me? He opens it. You walk in, and you walk in and go, oh, man, this is crappy. He's like, I, you prayed for that. Right? 
Listen, that's how you can ruin it, things. That's how you can, you can extend your destiny. And we know by the example, God said the Old Testament's example to us, the children of Israel griped and complained their way right out of the promised land. And the Bible says they tempted God 10 times. Now, I thank God because of Jesus' blood, we don't just get 10 chances because I would be, I'd be done a long time ago if it was just 10. I thank God for his mercy and grace on our lives. It's not just, thank God it's not 10, because that, most of us would have been finished. We'd already griped and complained or turned against God or, or just questioned, you know, God, uh, you, you know, I can't believe you're doing this. I can't believe this is happening. I mean, just turn disloyal. We have to understand that there's two things happening in our lives. Two things. One, God is preparing us for our destiny. You need to catch this. One, he's preparing us. And then the other one is he's preparing our, our destiny for us. He's preparing us for the destiny and our destiny for us. Let me just give you a real simple example. I prayed to get married from the time I was about 20, 21 on. I didn't get married till I was 28. But what I didn't realize was God was preparing me to be married. And then that if I'd have tried to marry Julie at 21, I'd have got arrested because she was only 15. So not only was he preparing me for my destiny, he was preparing my destiny for me. The Bible teaches us through faith and patience we inherit all the promises of God. What you do in that waiting period, Joseph, they, most people believe, theologians, most people study the word, believe that Joseph was a prisoner, a slave for about 10 years, a prisoner for about three. So he went through about 13 years of being in that situation, but he kept waiting on God and waiting on God, stayed loyal to God. And God prospered him where he was. Let me say it again. God prospered him where he was. And Joseph didn't forsake that prosperity. He didn't say, I'm not gonna do that. Oh no, I'm not helping you. I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that. Joseph took whatever promotion God gave him, whatever door opened up to Joseph, he just kept walking through them. Like, okay, thank you, God, 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 until he walked all the way through that with his heart loyal to God, even through the difficulties of slavery and imprisonment. He stayed loyal because Joseph had this belief that God is faithful. He had this belief that not only was he being prepared for his destiny, but his destiny was being prepared for him. You have to understand, Pharaoh did not have the dream that Joseph interpreted until almost 13 years down the road. Joseph needed to be prepared. And then when he got there, guess what Joseph knew? Guess what was happening? There was a famine. There was gonna be seven years of growth and seven years of famine where they grew great food and then didn't grow food. Guess what Joseph did for 10 years for Potiphar, the slave owner? He grew crops. And then guess what he did? In the seven years of famine, he negotiated with people from around the world food for wealth. And a lot of those people were liars and con people and whatever. You know what he learned in the prison? How to deal with liars and con people. Listen, you never know what you're going through now. God will use. He'll, even if it's meant for evil, he'll use it and turn it around for your good. Now, Joseph, he sits in that seat. Why? Because he was being prepared for his destiny, and his destiny was being prepared for him. 
And he ended up, that's why he could say to his brothers, brothers, I'm not going to hurt you. What you meant for evil, God turned around for my good. And I'm here where I'm at right now doing what I'm doing. He lived to be 110 years old, saw three generations of his family birthed and blessed by his authority. And his bones were carried into the promised land. He made sure of it, and they did it. Because he saw what God had intended for his people. Even into the future, he saw it. We've talked about Wednesday night about hindsight. When you learn to learn lessons from your past, then God will give you insight. He'll un- you'll start understanding your present situation. Then he'll give you foresight. You'll begin to see. But it starts with learning lessons. Joseph, he had He had hindsight, he learned lessons, he had insight, and then God gave him supernatural foresight. He saw 400 years later when they would would be delivered, Moses would come and they would be delivered. He said, you take my bones, he saw it. When you live loyal, you know, griping, complain your way out of situations or, or turn disloyal to God in your heart and question him and throw, throw shade on him. Did I use that word right? I try to use this modern vernacular. Sometimes my boys, sometimes I say stuff, they're like, Dad, that, that's not what that means. I'm like, oh, darn. <laughs> but, but yeah, there, you know, he just didn't do it. He stayed loyal to God despite his circumstances. I'm going to say this to you. When you're in your toughest times, that's when you're being tested on how you're going to treat God your loyalty towards God. I failed so many times that test at times that I, I just purposed years ago. I told Julie, I said, and I've told you, I said, I'm never gonna be disloyal again. And what would happen to me, the emotion that would come out of me, I wouldn't get down and out and depressed. I'd just get mad. Like, come on, God, are you kidding me? Anybody else? I'm like, really? And I purposed. Years ago, I said, I'm never doing that again. I'm never going to question your heart. You know why? Because every man, he turns things around, and then I'm going to, if I wouldn't bow it, I'd kick myself right in the butt and say, you know what? Why are you questioning him? He always comes through. He's always faithful. He always does what he says he's going to do. And I'm like, I'm done with that. I'm not going to be this well. I'm not going to turn. Ever again, I'm not going to let my anger take me that way. I'm not going to let despair. I'm not going to do any of it. And I'm telling you, when I did that, it's amazing what peace comes on you. It's peaceful. It's like, God, no matter what comes my way, I know you said not only here in Genesis, but you established this as a principle. And now in, in Romans 8, 28, and over and over and over again, God, you say this. You say, no matter what happens, in all things, you turn it around for good. For those who love you and are called according to your purpose, God. Who, who are called and believe that you created us for a purpose and a destiny. And we're determined to live that out. He'll turn it around. Stay loyal. Stay faithful. You want to experience the things, the, all the things that God has for you. You know, uh, we hear this psalm read all the time, mostly at funerals. But can I say this? This is not a funeral psalm, even though we read it at funerals a lot. Psalms 23 is not a funeral psalm. David actually wrote this when he was in a place called the Valley of the Shadow of Death. He actually wrote this because he went to sleep in this place. He was trying to hide. 
So he's like, where do I go to hide? You know what? I'll go, I'll go to hide in the valley of the shadow of death because no one's going to look for me there because there's nothing there. No one would hide there. So he goes to hide there. He wakes up the next morning, and God has supernaturally transformed this place. Trees, fruit, waters. I mean, it's crazy what God has done. Supernatural moment. He wrote Psalms because of that. But it's, it's a testimony of the twists and turns, some of the ups and downs that life will throw at you. Because our choices, other choices are just the enemy's attack. Or some of it is a test. God's testing us to see if we'll be faithful and loyal. And he's not testing us so we'll fail. He's trying to get us to pass. He says this, the Lord is, I like the passion version. The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely, for you are near. You become my delicious feast, even when my enemies dare to fight. You anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of you until my heart overflows. So why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence to be with you forever. Wow. Man, that, that whole message is, is like is this and then this and then back up here. But all through it, David's like, I trust in your love. We talked about that last week. We talked about uh, for the first three steps uh, and things we need to consider, things we need to think about. Number one, we need to step out in faith. But faith worketh through love. So number two is we need to have this unwavering belief, just like Psalm says, that God loves us. When you lose that, you lose faith, you lose hope, you lose everything. When you stop believing that God loves you. And the number one thing that Satan will try to convince you is that God is not for you, but he's against you. We hear people say all the time, why did, and we've all said it probably, why are you doing this, God? Why did you take this person? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? And we constantly are attacking God instead of inviting God into our circumstances. Listen, the tougher it gets, the more you need to invite God. Listen, the tougher it gets for me, the hungry, I get, hung, I get uh, uh, more hungry and I get more thirsty. I'm like, I want more of you, God, not less. I need more of you. These circumstances are, are becoming darker and darker. Man, I don't join the darkness. I press into the light. You gotta run to the light and say, hey, the, the more the darkness is poured on, the more I'm pursuing you, the more I need you to move. A lot of people, I, man, I, I've dealt with people in all kinds of various circumstances, situations. I dealt with a young man. He was, a, he was a, a year younger than me. We played baseball and some sports together. And, man, he had been diagnosed with cancer. His mom called and said, hey, I know you're a pastor. Will you go visit him? This is in Clovis. And I went to visit him. When I walked in, man, guys, this guy's, this guy's dying, and he's watching Gunsmoke. 
Now, I understand you need a break from some of it and just get your mind off of it, but you're not going to get healed watching gun smoke. And I knew after I talked to him that day, I knew that family better be prepared. He had a wife and four little children. They better get prepared because he wasn't going to make it. Why? Because his fo- he'd never, he wasn't pressing in. He was running away from it. Listen, guys, all of us feel like running away from certain circumstances or situations. We're like, gosh, I just want to check out. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to meditate on it. I just need some, I just need a break. And God's okay with us taking a rest, but we can't rest for six months. We can't rest for a whole week even. Guys, we've got to press into the things of God. When we go on vacation, I spend tons of time with God. Both of us do. Man, I, I spend even more time. You put me on a beach, I'll spend all day with Jesus. I'll be out there praying and praying in the spirit, reading my Bible. I'll read several books. I mean, we'll just, we're just pressing in. Why? Because I know the answer to every problem is Jesus. His presence, not the absence of his presence. We need more of his presence. So it's time to press in. And the darker it gets, the more you press in. You can imagine Joseph's prayer life. How he probably ran to God and ran to God and ran to God and ran to God. And God kept saying, Joseph, I'm promoting you. I'm blessing you. I'm taking care of you. And I'm preparing you. I'm preparing your destiny for you and you for your destiny. I used to gripe and complain sitting in an office working for a business and helping them become very successful. And they took great care of me too. But I would say, God, if I could take this energy, if I could take this passion that I have, and my wife knows, I worked two jobs for 15 years. I worked, I mean, I worked hard. I was out at two, three o'clock in the morning working. I mean, I liked to work and I would make something, I I had to make something happen for my family. So I was out there making it happen. But sometimes I think, God, I'd rather be two or three o'clock in the morning praying for somebody than out here doing this. And I would gripe and complain about it. Now, I'm so grateful for all of that time. Why? Because I learned so much that I apply today in the ministry. It's unreal. All of that was preparation. I wish I'd have just enjoyed the ride more instead of complaining about it or being negative about it, instead of saying, God, this is where you had me. And that's, that's the, I, I prayed for that door to open. I prayed for that door to open. And God opened it. We have to have this unwavering belief in God's love. And then we have to care more about what God thinks than other people think. And then four, here's the fourth one. We have to think outside the box. Or better yet, don't put God in a box. You know, the job I got in business that has led to open destiny doors. I I, Listen, I, I thought... There was 100 people applied for this job, and I prayed for this job. And there's 100 people that, that applied for it, and I got it. And everybody had to go in and take an English test, a writing sample, a math test. We had to take all these tests. And I thought out of the 100 people, I was number one. I had scored the best on all the tests. So I got that job. I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's right. Thank you, God. You gave, I prayed for it, man. I scored really high on all these tests. I scored everybody. Well, about six months into that job, the secretary to the manager, who I realized very early on within the first few weeks, she was really running the place. Her name was Marsha. And Marsha, Marsha, if you're still there, give your heart to Jesus, Marsha. But Marsha was the one that gave us all the tests. A hundred guys, they were parading them in and out, man. I was in there sitting with... Uh, and these guys, I'm like, man, he looks smarter than me. He looks smarter than me. But you know what? I, I won. I'd be I'm smarter than all of them. 
Well, I was talking to Marsha, and Marsha was at my desk, and I'm saying, hey, Marsha, I got a question for you, man. What did I score on those tests? I must have scored. Man, I must have knocked it out of the park. Did I miss any? And she looked at me, and she goes, oh, you, your test score was really average. My ego just went, Whoosh. I'm like, man, I thought I was overqualified for this job. Now I realize I'm underqualified. So I said, Marsha, how did I get this job? And she smiled real big. And she said two reasons. One, I thought you were cute. Believe it or not, at one time when I was really young, I was, I was a little cute. You know, anyway, I can't, it's hard to imagine, right? Anyway, and so she said, I thought you were cute. And she said, I liked you. You were, you were very polite and kind. She said, that, I went and told the manager, hire this guy. And she said, that's how you got the job. Listen, I thought I had to outscore everybody. I thought I had it all figured out. I thought I had to be the smartest in the room. And for a minute, I thought I was the smartest guy in that room. Then I found out I wasn't even close. I should have known better. I should have known better. By my math scores in high school and college, I should have known better. And so, but anyway, uh, that, I, you don't put God in a box. You don't know who he's going to give you favor with. Joseph didn't know he was going to have favor with the slave owner. Potiphar was the head assassin, basically, for the Egyptian pharaoh. He was brutal. But God gave Joseph favor with him. The guy who ran the prison, you can imagine what he was like. God gave Joseph favor with him. How that worked out, we don't know, but God did it. Never put God in a box. You don't know who he's going to use, who he's going to influence, and what he's going to do to open those doors, those destiny and purpose doors for you. You never know. I had favor with Marsha. She got me the job. I was grateful to her most days for that job. But God opened the door. Don't put him in a box. Number five, here's the last one. Go with me to Philippians 4.8. We'll stop there and pick this up next week. Philippians 4.8. Number five, is it's not just optimism. It's not just being optimistic the way the girls, the way the world sees optimism. It's God thinking. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ, that when we take this word and we put it in our mind, this word is anointed by the Holy Spirit, that he actually anoints our mind, our thoughts, our imagination, our intellect, our memory. He actually anoints it by his word being when we put his word in our minds. And when we put it in our hearts, it turns to faith and it produces results. He said this in Philippians 4, 8, so keep your thoughts. Everybody say thoughts. And he says this continually, continually. So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real. I'm going to stop at that first one because so many people are fake. And I get it. I was, I, when I was in the world, I had no idea who I was. I was, I was just, I felt like I was always wearing these masks. And when I'd get alone, I'd be like, I don't, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm supposed to stand for. I didn't know the value. I thought I had these values, but I really lived these values. I would say the right things, but I would do all the wrong things. I was so messed up. I always say this. Julie was the first and only girl that I ever went out with that was, I felt like I was me. I was just me. I'm like, okay, this is who, I'm a Christian. This is who I am. The values that I talk about, I actually live, and it was authentic and real, and that's, that's what attracted me to her and her to me. 
And so I use that as an example because, guys, that authentic, when you're authentic and real, and you only can be that when you have a relationship with Jesus because he's the only one that teaches you the truth about who you are, what you're called to be, in the circumstances and situation. And that, when you're authentic and real, it opens up a whole different life to you. Someone say amen. So he said, think on things that are authentic, things that are real. He said, think on things that are honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. He said, we need, our thoughts need to be constantly directed this way. Constantly. And then he says this, and fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. Not complaining about him always. Not complaining about him always, but praising him always. That God, even in this situation, I'm not praising you for the negativity. I'm not praising you for this bad thing happening. I'm praising you that you're right here with me in the middle of it. And that what was meant for evil will be turned around for good because you promised it. And I'll learn, grow, and I'll, I'll overcome this because Jesus, you said, you're gonna have trouble in this world, but be of good cheer. He didn't say to be down and out. He didn't say to be mad. He didn't say to gripe and complain. He said, be of good cheer. Have a good cheer about you. Have a good cheer about you. Because he said, because he's overcome the world. He's overcome the world for us. We're going to stop right there. I, I, just, I just want to encourage you. If you know Jesus already, man, if you'll begin to apply these principles, you'll see, man, God, stuff will start happening. First of all, your present, your present will become a lot more joyful because you'll stop griping and complaining and thinking your way into all this negativity, anger, bitterness, down and out, depression. Man, God will lead you right out of that. And then when you get that right, he'll begin to teach you lessons from your past. That's hindsight. People who have hindsight can learn actual lessons from your past. Then you'll get insight. You'll begin to become aware and, to, and discern what's happening in your present. And then when you begin really good at that, he'll give you glimpses at times of things that are coming. And man, that's a cool supernatural way to live. And that's what God wants. He wants all of us to be these extraordinary people that come from very common clay or maybe even dishonorable. I'm gonna end with this. There's a lady named Joyce Meyer. Some of you might have heard of her. She's probably the greatest woman evangelist that's ever, I, I think ever existed on the planet. She is the Billy Graham, uh, 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 the equivalent of that in, in a woman's body. She's, she's come, she's written 135 books. It's translated into 160 languages. She's led millions upon millions to Jesus. Millions upon millions. And Joyce was, was raped by her father from, from two years old to 18 years old, every, every week, some, several times a day. Matter of fact, she can't even describe the things he would do to her because she said, I, I, it's so grotesque. The, the life she lived from childhood. And we've heard similar testimonies to this, but God took this vessel who was so broken and Joyce became really bitter and walking in tremendous unforgiveness and she was so hateful and mean. Hateful and mean, full of bitterness, full of anger, 
from all that's happened to her, feeling so unworthy, so impure. You can imagine, some of you can, how impure. And yet, yet God, she, she was introduced to Jesus, and Jesus poured out this treasure and his, his extravagant power in her life, this light in her. And now, what was meant for evil, God has turned around for good, and she's ministered to millions of men and women about overcoming those things, letting go of unforgiveness, letting go of bitterness. She's written a great book called Battlefield of the Mind. If you've never read it, please read it. It's, it's, a, it's a continuation of several books in history that have been written by the same title by other ministers, just from a different perspective. But I'm telling you, man, she's overcome, she's overcome, and probably the greatest thing she did was not just leading millions to Jesus, not writing all those books, that when her parents got older, the Lord began to deal with her and say, Joyce, you need to help them. And she was not only angry with her father, she had to forgive her father, but her mom knew this was going on the whole time. She had to forgive her mom too. And they were in trouble. They were, they, obviously, you could tell, you could see the kind of finances and life they probably had. They were down and out. And God began to say, you need to do something for them. They're older. They can't take care of themselves anymore. You got to do something. And so she went to her husband and said, hey, uh, uh, you know, do you want to do something for my parents? And she thought for sure he would say no and let her off the hook. Because even though she's this great minister, she's extremely submitted to her husband. It's amazing. That's why she's so blessed. She understands how God, she's submitted to her husband, submitted to her pastor, and it's amazing what God's done with her life because Joyce gets it. And the last thing she should be submitted to or trust is a man, but that's the transformation that God did in her life. And so she goes to her husband thinking he'll say no, and she'll be like, God, he's my spiritual head. He said, no, I'm not going to do anything. And no, that's not what he said. He said, oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, matter of fact, we're gonna buy him a home, move him where we live, and we're gonna take care of him. And she's like, oh my gosh. That's even more than I thought. I didn't wanna do all that. Let's buy him a home where they're at. No, he said, we're gonna move him here where we live. And so they move him, and then guess what happens? She leads both of her parents to Jesus. See, man, when God's love and his power, his light gets involved in your life, it's, it's amazing what you can be capable of and what God will do in you and through you. Unfortunately, for a lot of people in G that know Jesus, they, they are saved and they're on their way to heaven, but they never get to really experience all that because of the attitude that they carry towards God and circumstances and situations. They never get happy where they're at but not happy because the circumstances have changed, happy because they trust that God's there. And when you never get there, you just keep closing doors to God's purpose and plan for your life, and, and eventually you can just get to a place where you're just gonna pass on and go to heaven, but never completely fulfill what God has for you. That's not what God wants. That's not what I want for you. That shouldn't be what you want for you, but you have choices to make. I wanna encourage you, start taking these steps. Start taking these steps. And the first one I want you to take, as you take that step of faith, trust that God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Listen, every eye closed online in here, and I want to thank all those who joined us online. I'm sorry I didn't greet you earlier, but thank you for being with us. And all those that are here, man, even more grateful for you that you're here right here with us.
But either situation, man, if you don't know God, you've never prayed, you've never said, God, you're God, I'm not. Jesus, you're Lord, I, I submit my life to you, you're, and you're the Lord of my life. That means it's your way, it's your truth in your life. It's not, I'm no longer leaning on my own opinions, on what I think. I'm gonna study your word, and I'm gonna allow your spirit, the Holy Spirit, to live in me and teach me the truth. And teach me how to live your way. Rod and I were just talking about that scripture that God says, if you delight in me, I'll give you the desires of your heart. I'll put in you what I created you to do. And then he said, if you'll commit your way to me, I will bring those desires to pass in your life. You know, most people are dreamers, but very few get to live the dream. Man, I can tell you being on this side of living so many dreams, this side is so much better than just dreaming. But dreaming turns to reality by a commitment, an undying, unwavering commitment that you understand that God loves you and that he's, he's the Lord, you're not. An unwavering commitment to serve him and to submit your life to him. So if you've never prayed that, whether online or here, we want to pray that with you. If you've never prayed and said, God, I'm, I'm making this commitment. I give you my life. My life is no longer mine to claim. I give it to you because I trust you. I trust you. That you have a better plan, a better future. That you can actually close the doors on the pain and hurt of my past. Heal every wound and turn it into a scar that you and you alone can do that and open up doors to a future and not just a future here, but more importantly, more important than all the stuff that happens here, heaven instead of hell when we die. This is not just a, a decision you make right now. This is an eternal decision. You choose heaven or hell. You choose in this life blessings or cursings. You choose hopelessness versus hopeful by this choice. Who is God in your life? Someone you know about or someone you know? Someone you want something from them or someone you're submitted to? that you trust with your life. You get to choose. So if you've never prayed that, we just want to encourage you right now to pray with us. Or maybe you've prayed that before and you've, you've, you've complained your way out of a relationship with him or you've just chosen to walk away or run away or you're angry or you're in despair or Man, you just, it's just your, your relationship with him is broken, and you know it. There's a wall between you, and it's not him, it's you. He's, he stays with you. He's, he said he sticks closer than a brother. Man, he's, he'll never leave you or forsake you. He's right here. He's a breath away. He's omnipresent. He's right here, right now, waiting for you to choose to come home. 
So whether it's your first time or your next time, you want to pray and get right with God. If you're online watching this now or next week, it doesn't matter the day. God's still speaking to you. You Right now, send us a message saying, send us a message saying, I'm praying for the first time or I'm praying for the next time. Watch it online. You're not right with God. Send that message right now. In this room, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand up high. There's no strings attached to either one of those. Right where you're at, we're going to pray. Online or in here. Right where you're at, we're going to pray. So if that's you online, send that, send that message in this room on the count of three at three. Raise your hand up and say, it's me. I'm going to get right with God. One, two, three. Just raise your hand and say, it's me. Thank you, 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 thank you. All over the room. Thank you. God bless you. Let's pray with all the ones online in here. Let's all pray together. Say this. Say, God. Come on, let's say it, church. God, I believe you are God and God alone. I believe that you love us, you love me, and you sent Jesus. He died for my sins on a cross. And in three days, you raised him from the dead, and he's alive. You did all of that to rescue us, to rescue me from sin and its penalty, eternal death. Thank you for doing that for me. And because I believe that, I ask that you forgive me of all my sins and heal and close the door on my past and open the door to the reason you created me. And I say to you, Jesus, you are the Lord Jesus Christ of my life. I submit my life. I give my life to you. And I thank you now that I receive the Holy Spirit to live inside of me, to save my life, and to teach me your truth, your way, your life. Thank you for saving my life, restoring my life, right now. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Come on, church. Let's thank God for his goodness. Pastor Sean. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.